Welcome to the Landco Podcast, where we aim to bring value to landowners and prospective land buyers through our experiences and network. I'm your host and managing partner of Landco, John O'Reilly. All right, guys, welcome to the Landco Podcast. This is the first series, um, first episode in our new series, the Year-Round Whitetail Hunter. Again, we just had an intro uh, a week ago or so, but a quick recap of what we hope to accomplish in this series is um, follow these guys with Ryan Pubic, Matt Lynch, um, you know, obviously some of the better deer hunters that I know, uh, just going to follow them and see what these guys do month after month that leads to continued success that, you know, most people, frankly, just don't have. So um, I know that they do more than most people that I know. So we're just going to bring that to light to, uh, you know, hopefully bring value to our clients that own land or people that are wanting to buy land to kind of see like, hey, can you handle this? Or do you have the finances to have people do it for you? Because this is what it takes, um, you know, to consistently shoot big deer, right? Yeah. Okay. So let's hop into it. We chatted a little bit before we started. And truthfully, I'm going to be the moderator here because these guys know, everyone knows, like, this is not my forte. I had my kid seven years ago and I've not deer hunted since. So uh, I don't have the patience for it. Um <laughs> I'm just not very good at it. So that's why these guys are here, but I'm here to keep them on track. Um, we chatted a little bit before we started, and um, I asked them to come up with like the two or three or four things that they're doing this month, which would be January uh, 20, to help them for next um, hunting season. So the first half of the month was actually technically still the hunting season from last year, right? Right. Um, but we're talking next year. So we chatted about those things, and we came up with largely they had the same list. Um, which is not that surprising, but we, we picked the top five things that they're both kind of doing, uh, planning on doing. I'll run through these just in case we kind of bounce around a little bit. Once we start, I'm sure we'll kind of, uh, again, bounce around and get off topic. We're good at that. But, um, the five things that they both said that they're doing or planning on doing was number one, predator control. Uh, number two, scouting. Uh, that's both on pictures, kind of inventory, um, snow cover does that to kind of see the movement. Uh, they both said they were adjusting stands based on uh, that research. They're both um, looking at getting all their equipment ready for next spring and um, kind of calculating, you know, what we're going to plant where and how much seed we need and that sort of stuff. But these guys are going to go into a little more depth on that. So uh, let's just hop into it. Um, predator control is actually the first thing that both of you guys said. Ryan, I know you've been doing it for like pretty hot and heavy here for the what last couple of weeks uh, about the last 10 days or so okay. yeah i've been out coyote hunting a little bit got a guy uh coming in and doing some uh coyote trapping for us uh the one thing about calling coyotes i'm not that great at it i enjoy it i'm very I, very isn't passionate it, about it just it. uh like you turn on like your little ipad app and I mean, I've got an actual caller that, yeah. that uh, is all Bluetooth uh, compatible. So, you know, I use different di types of calls depending on the type of the right. day and whatnot. But, uh, you know, the other day I, was, I had a great hunt. I shot three in a couple hours, uh, bouncing around to different farms that, uh, that we have. But uh, if you really want to get ahead of your, ahead of the coyote population, You've got to have a trapper that really knows what he's doing. And they'll come in, they'll set foot traps uh, just below the surface of the ground, and that's how you get ahead of your predators. Right. Is that similar to what you're doing? Yeah, you know, we've not 
uh, had a trapper come out. You know, we're going to look to get a few guys, shoot some. Um, we have explored trapping. We're probably going to get the name and number of your guy to come out uh, now that we've had more ground acquired in the last couple of years. But, um, I mean, I agree. The importance of it is huge because, I mean, these deer have been hunted for the last several months. They're stressed out. Uh, the last thing that they need is, you know, a large predator population chasing them around, adding more stress to it. Um, you know, these deer are worn out. predators are extremely hungry right now. They are. You know, they're looking for every possible meal they can get right now. So they're getting very aggressive. Yeah. And and they're coming into the breeding season. Exactly. The predators, let's just say it's the coyote population. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the peak breeding season is late January, first part right. of February. And so they're getting very aggressive right now. Exactly. So, I mean, any animal living in the elements right now, you know, colder temperatures, they lack need of to food. Eat. Exactly. Right. So, is the so what's the is the main concern? Because um, I know coyotes can track down and kill big deer. Is the scare more that they're going to kill part of your population or just kind of push them out because there's so many of them or both? Part of it for me is, it, it jump in at any point, sure. is. The, the, the more of the, of the coyotes that you remove from, let's say, the pack, you know, because yeah. they're all very territorial and they're, they're, they're in family groups, if you will, they will hone in on an area, in my experience, and will decimate your fawns in the spring. Ah, got it. So what we're taking out of the population right now will save a certain percentage of fawns for your deer herd, you know, your button bucks and whatnot yeah. uh, in the years to come, basically is the way I look at yeah. it. Yeah, right. I don't know if this is, again, this is up your guys' alley more than mine, but when I did back at North Creek, remember we had that for, what, four or five years? I think it was the last year, and that was probably the last year that I hunted. Um, I saw more coyotes that year than I'd seen probably the previous 10, and I also saw less buck movement that year. I don't know if they like just like spread out because they don't like the population of coyotes. I don't know if that's true or not, but it sure that correlation happened to me. For me this year, and I was just talking to a guy about it this afternoon, is my trail cameras. Trail cameras don't lie. Yeah. And the amount of coyote pictures that I got on trail cameras this year might be at an all-time high. Uh, for for me, where I'm located at, right, um, and I think that's different depending on where you're at. Yeah. But for me, it, it it was a huge red flag that we we need to do something this year because the coyotes are really really rampant yeah. where I'm at. Yeah, things. I mean, probably one of my least favorite things that you know it it drives me crazy is when I'm getting trail camera pictures of a bunch of deer in any of our food plots, and the next thing you see is you know every single one of them turns their head in a yeah. picture. And the next picture you get is a coyote busting through there and all the deer are gone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's one thing if I make a mistake, you know, and go in the wrong place at the wrong time, bust the deer out. But if it's in my control, if I can take the predators out of there and eliminate that stress on the deer, keep them comfortable in our plots, that's, it's, yeah. you know. And sometimes the coyotes are, are helpful because as, as you know, hunting late season, if, you know, you're hunting on a, any given evening. And a coyote does come in to blow the field out. Stir them up a little bit. That, that's good <laughs> that's because, because it'll blow the field out and you can get out of your yeah, stand exactly. or tower blind and not educate a bunch of deer. Exactly. So, yeah. uh, and this is, and we can move on from that, but um, we're not talking about that. We're talking about deer, but like it's got to help the pheasant, quail, turkey, all Rabbits, absolutely. yes, absolutely. Um, okay, 
so this one I assume will take a little longer to talk about because there's, um, I'm guessing a lot to this that I'm unaware of, but they both, you guys both said scouting. Um, you had talked about trail camera pictures, pictures and inventory. I know you're doing a bunch of trail camera pictures. So you talked about that a little differently. So talk about the, uh, what you're taking inventory of. What do you mean? What bucks made it through or sure. in what bucks? Mm -hmm. Cause I think you got a few new ones too, right? Yeah. So, um, and jump in, like you said, anytime. So we run the Cuddy link system as we've talked about on previous yeah. podcasts. So we don't really have to go into a lot of areas to disturb anything. We can kind of just pull one chip and see what's going on in a lot of our food plots right now. Um, I'm looking to see not only the deer that we've been watching all season are still around, still using our plots, but number two, that they're healthy. That, you know, they look good. You know, it's sometimes this time of year, you see a deer you've watched for several months and I've had some that look sickly and, you know, those are the ones you end up finding, yeah. you know, late March, like something happened, whether it was an injury that got them and you end up, taking them out or or whatnot but it's it's a great time right now especially after snow you know go and see where the deer are moving uh what deer is still out there and you know that they're using the plots that you've you know mm -hmm. strategically placed to and keep them around you got a new one too right which kind of affects what you do moving forward right can we talk about the deer that you got on camera or no? <laughs> <laughs> to, be, to be honest, we don't have to say. To be honest, uh, on one particular farm, there's a, a couple. There's there's one that's showed up that, um, you know, I said you're lucky in a lifetime to see a 200 inch deer. I think if you see more than one in your lifetime, you know, you're doing something right or you're very lucky. Right. We're seeing number two and this maybe number three in the same season. Man. Uh huh on the same farm uh so that's really exciting to see got a few pictures of a, a new stud and also here recently another stud who for some reason only seems to show up end of january but it's third year in a row we've had pictures of yeah. them but um but that's you know, why you take inventory right because now, now you change your play a little bit it right? is you know i was just talking to dad the other day he's like you know what obviously something needs to change if we're this is the third year in a row he's showing up but it's at the end of the season we're going to need the game plan about how we can get this deer might onto our place. a little more aggressive on him. Might have to. Yeah. And, you know, if we can, it looks like going into, you know, the 2020 hunting season, you may be chasing a couple more 200 inches. Right. So that's part of the inventory. You see what you have, see what's coming in. To kind Plus of you're up and comers, you know. You, and you look at yeah. your age structure. It's very hard for me at this time of the year, and I think a lot of guys will agree with this, very hard to look at deer right now and be able to age them effectively. Um, being able to tell a three from a four-year-old right now because they've run down from the rut, yeah. just the rigors of being a deer throughout a, a 90 some odd day season. Uh, but if you're able to identify those deer earlier in the season, you know he's a three-year-old or four-year-old, whatever. Right. And just watching to make sure they're still available, what the, you know, the possibility they'll be there for next year, provided that, you know, aren't taken up from predation or EHD or some of the yeah. other variables and just natural causes. Um, another thing I'll do is I'll sit because I, I'm fortunate enough to where I'm out in the field every day for the most part to where I'll go out and watch from a distance with binoculars or spotting scope and watch a five acre standing bean yeah. food plot and watch the deer come in. And, and sit there and, and, and formulate a plan in my mind, watching how late season, how they're entering a, a, a food plot. 
based on wind direction, moon phase, all that different stuff. I just that's just how I it works yeah. for me. You yeah. know, I'm able to figure out that I know in Jan, the last couple of weeks of January, if I haven't tagged out, I can go in there. If I've got to stand in this location, I'm gonna have a better opportunity of shooting a mature whitetail mm -hmm. than I am sitting in the stand that I've sat in October and November. Right. And we've talked before there, you know, we have a couple of farms that we try to keep, you know, as little pressure as possible on these places. And uh, we've checked cameras, you know, a few times over the last month and a half out there. And there's some deer, as you were saying, you know, they're on that borderline. Um, and we're never going to shoot a deer if we're unsure if it's mature or not. So yeah. um, kind of seeing where they're moving and, you know, what their activity is like this time of year. We already know where we're putting some stands next year to prepare for, you know, late season mm -hmm. uh, and know that at that point they will be mature and we're probably going to have a crack at them. Right. <clears throat> so we talked about the snow stuff. Do you guys try to look at the tracks when it snows or is it something you got enough cameras up that you just say, I'm going to monitor the movement through the cameras or if you're out there, you look at it or how's that? Work? For me, it's both. I utilize the cameras. Cameras don't lie. I already yeah. said that. But when you can go around a food plot area, let's use that as an example, and you just see a mud trail coming in. That And that's a trail a lot of times isn't used during the regular season. Right. All of a sudden, yeah. they're they're just the creatures. They just follow different funnels coming into that food plot late right. season, uh, because they start getting, in my opinion, they get start getting a little bit more herded up. Right. So you'll end up having ten or twelve does coming into a into a certain food plot, and it's just in a line, one right after right. another. Where in the regular season that typically doesn't happen, at least not for me anyway. Right. Snow is one of our greatest assets that we can use to you know be able to scout and. Um, you know, see what deer movement is like and kind of just get a game plan together. You know, at some point we have ideas about where deer are moving through during the season, you know, based on pictures. Yeah. But when you can actually go out there and see the tracks, you know, define trails where they're moving, mm -hmm. it definitely kind of helps, you know, put the last piece of the puzzle. It's crazy. It's nice. nice. One day last week, I spent six hours walking on a farm that I hunt. And I found areas that I had no idea that the deer were using. And, and because of the snow, I was able to identify different, I think it was three different bedding areas that I never had a clue that they were bedding in right. because of the snow. Right. It, it, it really magnifies what you're look, trying to find. Yeah, for sure. Um, before we move on to stand adjustment, because I think all that's going to be kind of predicated on the stuff that you find on the, the last one. But we didn't talk about this, but I'm positive that you do this because we talk about it all the time. We're also monitoring the food they have, right? A lot of the farms we have, you go out and it just happened on another one, whatever, last week we're talking about for this coming spring, you're like, they don't have enough food. It's gone. I went out there and there's no food left. So that's probably not too challenging, but it's certainly something you look at, right? Well, and I look at, because I do farm. Yeah. And so I look at the, you know, the farmer, farmer's almanac and all that kind of stuff. And if I remember correctly, last August, whenever it came out for, for this coming fall and, or this past fall and uh, uh, winter, they were calling for three or four different po polar vortexes. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I left way more food this year to help our deer herd get through that than I've ever left before. And we haven't had that situation yet, yeah. but I'm prepared in yes. case, in case we get <clears throat> But other farms, you've seen we plant food plots because people ask us to plant a certain amount and it's just not enough food. 
Yeah. Oh, you're, you're, you're done by January 1st. Yeah. Or, or sometimes that, even December. And that's yeah. when those deer that like you get, you want to have enough food. Absolutely. If anything, I think something we do is we overcompensate, you know, for what these deer need during the regular season. We always try and have more food than probably what's necessary. Mm-hmm. But by doing so, some of these deer that, you know, you don't see during the regular season, they show up late January, February, and they realize, oh, wow, look at this place. I've not been around here that often. I see there's a ton of food. There's great bedding opportunities. There's, there's a little a certain pressure. percentage of deer that, that will that will resonate with them, and, and they will stay. And they will stay. They will not leave again. Exactly. So, like I said, we're trying to, you know, get some patterns figured out on some new ones that we've seen this happen with yep. over the last couple of years so we can kind of get a different <clears throat> game plan together. But that is our strategy is, you know, not only – try and supplement these deer that we have all season through the winter, but also you yep. know, pulling some new ones that we'll present, you know, we'll get there for and stay for the next season. Okay. Um, you both talked about stand adjustment. I'm assuming that's based on some of the new information that you got from the snow, from the pictures, stuff like that. Yes. Uh, do you actually move them or do you just say, Hey, we know we're going to mark this. No, I love, I love moving stands uh, right now through February, uh, and it's kind of based on MRI, most recent information, um, adjoining that with your past experiences in that stand. <coughs> uh, I, I, I will go in midday and adjust the stand during the season. When, yeah. You know, uh, sneak in, adjust it if I need to. Uh, but right now, if I need to move a stand 50 yards, 100 yards, this is the time to do it because everything is so magnified because there is there isn't any foliage in the timber to speak of. Yeah, the snow's on the ground, and even if you don't have snow, you can still identify the, the heavily used travel travel corridors and adjust accordingly based on the information you've got today, plus the information that you you compiled throughout the entire deer season. Right, it's best to do it while it's fresh in your mind. You've just you know been hunting the last you know few months. You've seen what these deer are doing. You see what they're doing now, you know, with snow on the ground, no foliage. You know, you'd go and say, that was the area I was thinking was going to be good. I can confirm now that it is good. Seeing mm-hmm. what I'm seeing, yeah. you know, with trails, it's the time to do it. For sure. And some of the stuff will can, or you guys will continue to do in February. But I think you're right. Because if you don't do it now before spring, like spring hits and you're... I, I, you're I don't have any time. Don't have right, time to right. do it. Then the summer hits and... Don't the, other, the other part is that I'm getting... Older, lazier, and more overweight. And I, I don't like doing it in August when it's ninety-five degrees. It's a lot easier to do it when it's thirty degrees. <laughs> um, okay. Well, then the other one, I guess, few that are pretty similar is, um, and it depend on on what sort of stuff you guys have. But like these guys both have equipment, so you said you're getting your stuff what cleaned and ready and repaired. Just just service. make it just regular general service. Uh, you know. Looking at some of the demands for this season, the upcoming season versus the past season, as far as equipment, you know, if I need a, a new broadcast seeder, for instance, you yeah. know, I, I, this is the time of the year where I do the inventory. Is there anything new I need? Uh, maintain, do all the, the general service, uh, replace worn, worn out parts on, on, let's say, the drill. Yeah. Uh, things like that going so it is ready to go when, when, Mother Nature says it's time to go. I'm ready to go, and I'm not sitting there trying to fix a, a chain that's broke or, yep. or something that's wore out. Yeah, it's 
during the season, I mean, I'm not great about it, but I try and make a list of things that I, you know, frustrate me or what can I do to make this project easier, you know, make this more efficient, jot it down. This is the time to like take action on it because, you know, the more you wait, you get busy with life, things happen and you just end up putting it off. Then you're back, you know, it's time to, to work on this or work on that. You're like, oh, I yeah. never took care of that. It's the same thing in waterfowl. It's like you, even stuff as small as like a mower, you know, you have a couple, whatever, bears and blades that you need to replace. It's like, you know it and you write it down. You never do it in the season. You right. just get too busy. So that's, right. you, you do it at that point. Um, <clears throat> that goes along with planning. Um, and this is important for a few reasons, but that's also like, what did this food plot work? Did this one work? Do we want to change this from, you know, a green plot to grains, that sort of planning, right? So, you know, and maybe you're not ordering seed yet. Some of the stuff you may be ordering now, but you want it ready. So, you know, next month or whatever, you start ordering stuff, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm always formulating in, in January because it's still fresh in our mind from the hunting season. What worked, what didn't. Yeah. Um, and we're so fortunate living in the Midwest and Illinois that there's not many things that, that don't work. It's green and grain, right. basically. And it could be your radishes, your turnips, your your clovers, uh, and beans and corn. There's mm -hmm. nothing that's going to beat that. I mean, it, it, well, it some stuff do. Like, we've tried, you know, beans on a few plots that people want us to, and they're too small. And we have to be like, listen, guys, beans are awesome. They're not gonna grow. Here. They will not be there. There will not be any sustainable food there for them to hunt come October first. Exactly. Right. So you were yeah. rotating his stuff around, like on your right. personal farm. You probably got to figure it out, right? Um, but it it does take some planning, especially if you get a farm and it's new. Like the first three years, it's I mean, you guys have bought new farms. It's a it takes it takes a, a while. It's a learning process, you know. It's three years, and in my opinion, it's, it takes three years to properly figure out a farm yeah. to be efficient at going in and shooting mature whitetail. Right. Uh, there's there's always luck involved. You can't get around sure. that. Yeah. But to efficiently go in and consistently kill a big whitetail, mature whitetail, in my opinion, it takes three years to figure well, out. I mean, case in point, the farm we did our podcast on with Dad's ear, it's the yeah. third year that we've owned it. He went out and killed the 214-inch deer this year. Yeah. You know, we do things consistently, and we've stuck with it. We've made some adjustments, and we've kept some things consistent because it's worked for us. And, yeah, I mean, success. And now there may or may not be a few more good deals. Now there may or may not be. <laughs> <laughs> um, here, here's what else that's important about that last few steps, which is preparing and running the numbers on what you need. Also, figure out how much time that's going to take. Because, like, we can do that stuff because that's part of our job. But sometimes people get behind because they underestimate the time, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, getting someone to switch grass or whatever. It's not like you just go drill it. Like, there's prep. There's all that stuff. So mm -hmm. what I always tell people is figure out if you can do it, right? Because you had an issue, too, where it's like you thought you had enough time and you didn't. It's like luckily we're all buddies and be like, hey, run over here and help. But sometimes it's nice to analyze how much time it's going to take to see if you can handle it, right? Sure. Yeah, we're fortunate, you know, that – like I said, we have a great relationship with, you know, you and, you know, Ryan, we're all friends and everything that we got in a bind, we got behind with stuff, things happen. And we called Ryan and said, hey, one of our farms needs to be planted. Um, I mean, it's not, what is it, like 12 acres tops between all those fields over there? Maybe. maybe tops. Right. Um, you know, he did us a favor, went over there, you know, took care of it, planted it for us. Um, obviously a mistake we're not going to make again, you know, we need to plan sure. it out and know what is manageable for us with our time. And 
our resources and uh, yeah now is the time seriously we talk to dad and my brother it's it's the time to sit down and say what food plots work for us what mixes of you know seed work for us what do we want to do this year and um, make arrangements because and who's doing what right? and who's doing what because yeah. I can guarantee you as we continue to buy more land um, or you know change things up our time is our most valuable asset we just yeah. we aren't able to do it all ourselves so we'll need to talk to you know Ryan to come and help us out well that's why I asked because it is that's why I bring it up because if someone calls you now and says I need 20 acres planted in June no big deal right no big deal We've seen Ryan get grumpy during deer season. You want to see him grumpy, tell him to plant five acres on May 5th and call him May 4th. <laughs> <laughs> the answer, right. yeah. the answer is usually like, no, right? There's no chance. So it's like, if you know you can't do it or aren't going to be able to do all of it, like even if you want to do part of it, it's no big deal. Be kind of like, you know, self-aware and honest with yourself and say, hey man, can you guys help me out in whatever I'm going to, I'm going to work the ground where you plant it, but tell us, or if you're using another, you know, land developer, no big deal, but whoever it is, tell them now, because it's much easier for us to, for the planting stage. Cause it's not just tilling the ground and planting the seed to properly do it. There's possible soil samples. There's fertilization. Mm-hmm. There is getting the ground tilled. And then we're not even talking, even brought up Mother Nature. For because sure. yep. you know rain is going to be a part of this factor at some point in time. Mm-hmm. And then you got to get the seed in. And, and so there's a lot of different steps to getting that food plot. So if, the, the best. If you're prepared in advance, you can usually make it work. Absolutely. If you're not, sometimes it just doesn't um, work the way that, you know, our standards are higher than most. We can say that. But um when we're forced to do something late, it doesn't sometimes work out how we, like, up to our standards. Mm-hmm. But For sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing we didn't bring up, and I'm sure everyone would have said that would be one of them, is shed hunting. You guys don't do it yet? Or not a big part of your plan yet? February. February? Yeah, February. Mm-hmm. I, okay. I you know, was just chatting with Ryan about this. Now is the time of year, unless, you know, I'm getting trail camera pictures of a deer I'm very familiar with. I'd like to get a hold of him. If I see him shed and I'm confident of where he's dropped him, I'll go in after him. But January is a time I like to put as little stress on the deer as possible, right. let them eat, get comfortable. Yeah. You know, February is a time where a majority of the deer are dropping anyway. So that's a, a lot of your bigger deer will drop first in, right. in my past uh, history with shed hunting. Is your bigger deer typically will drop quicker than some of the little ones. And so I always wait till the first week of February is when I okay. really start focusing on shed hunting. So that will do it for this episode. We appreciate you guys watching. And we will be back at you at the end of next month, February 2020. And, you know, about a month from now. So thanks for watching.